Let's start the meeting. Welcome everyone. I'm Roseanne Tory, the meeting secretary. Thank you for attending the meeting. This meeting is being held by WebEx pursuant to the governor's executive orders and mayoral emergency proclamations suspending and modifying requirements for in-person meetings during the coronavirus disease emergency. The Citizens General Obligation Bond Oversight Committee will convene remotely until the committee is legally authorized to meet in person. Public comment will be available on each item on this agenda. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available by phone call by calling 415-655-0001 and again 415-655-0001. Access code is 2487-551-4950. That's 2487-551-4950. Then press pound and then pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star three to be added to the speaker line. Best practices are to call from a quiet location Speak clearly and slowly and turn down your television or radio. Alternatively, you may submit public comment via cgobo.committee at sfgov.org and it will be forwarded to the committee and will be included as part of the official file. Please note that this meeting is recorded and we will be available at sfgovtv.org. Um, may I take roll? Yes, please. Thank you, Rosanne. Thank you. Member Crawford. Member Crawford is absent. Member Dean. Present. Member Larkin. Present. Member Larkin is present. Vice Chair Matthews. Present. Vice Chair Matthews is present. Chair McHugh. Chair McHugh is absent. Member Pantoja. Present. And Member Sanderlin. Present. Member Sanderlin is present. So we have a quorum. For the record, it's 9.33 a.m. May I read um, the land acknowledgement? Yes, please. Thanks for saying. We acknowledge that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramaytush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula as the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramaytush Ohlone have never ceded, lost nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, 
and relatives of the Ramaytush community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Uh, please note that Member Crawford has entered the meeting. Welcome. Thank you. So Vice Chair Matthews, may I go to agenda item two? Uh, yes, please, public comment. Public comment. Opportunity for the public to comment on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction that are not on the agenda. Just bringing something up. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 2487-551-4950, then pound, and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. So I'm just checking for any raised hands. Um, I don't see any raised hands. May I close public comment for this item? Yes, please. And then uh, we may take up item four. Thank you. Item four, elections of chair three, and vice. Sorry. I, I skipped three. Oh, sorry. My mistake. I, it's okay. Item three, adoption of AB 361 resolution, allowing the committee to meet during the COVID-19 emergency via teleconference. The resolution was in your packet. Do we have um, any discussion? Uh, I'll make a motion to um, adopt the resolution. Second. Okay. Can we go to vote on the item? Actually, Roseanne, we should yes. check for a comment. Public first. comment. Sorry. Yes. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415. 655-0001, access code 2487-551-4950, then press pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. <clears throat> So I'm just checking the call in caller queue and I don't see any raised hands. May we now go to take a vote? Yes, please. Sure. Member Crawford? Aye. Member Gein? Aye. Member Larkin? Aye. Vice Chair Matthews? Aye. Chair McHugh? It's absent. Member Pantoja? Aye. And Member Sanderlin? Aye. The motion passes. 
Thank you. Uh, now we can move to item number four. Elections of chair and vice chair. Um, so I'll, I guess, start speaking on this item. Uh, folks, I know we haven't been able to contact through the meeting rules um, uh, with our chair leaving. I'm currently the vice chair. Happy to entertain anyone who's excited to take the helm as the chair. Um, if no one's that excited for it, um, I'm willing to step in um, and someone can have a little time as vice chair before. Uh, getting thrown into the chair position. So um, I nominate Tim. I second that. Oh, geez. Thanks, folks. <laughs> so, Roseanne, just to um, mm -hmm. clarify the process, I would suggest since we have a motion for the chair, we take public comment on this, then vote, and then assuming the motion passes, repeat the process for the vice chair. You know, we have a committee discussion, someone makes a motion, it's seconded, and then we take uh, public comment on that second motion as well. Okay. So I will go to public comment then. <clears throat> Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 2487 5514950, then press pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. I'm just checking the caller queue. Um, I don't see any raised hands. So may I go to take a vote? Yes, please take a vote. Thank you. Member Crawford? Aye. Member Gain? Aye. Member Larkin? Aye. Vice Chair Matthews? I guess so, aye. <laughs> Enthusiastic aye. <laughs> Chair McHugh? Absent. Member Pantoja? Aye. And Member Sanderlin? Aye. Okay, the motion is adopted. Um, welcome, Chair Matthews. Thank you. Um, thanks, folks. Uh, so we need a vice chair. Any volunteers or anyone want to nominate somebody else? I'm um, Member Crawford. I am interested in it. I, I just had a couple of questions that might be for Chair Matthews or um, possibly for Ken. I think my, excuse me, my current um, membership on the committee ends in November. So I don't even know if I could put myself um, forward as vice chair now um, with a, a membership that ends in a few months. So I just thought I'd put that out for discussion. Sure. I mean, there's no legal bar to doing that, especially given that 
um, for this committee and certain other committees, you can stay in your position as long as a successor hasn't been um, appointed by the appointing authority. So, you know, if you want to serve longer than November and your appointing authority wants you to serve longer than November, you could still be in that position and still serve as vice chair. So the fact that your 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 seat may end in November, at least legally, is not a not a problem. You know, and if it's the case that uh, you're nominated and serve as vice chair, and then next meeting we have to have another vice chair to serve, we'll just repeat the process. So that's not a problem. Um, if I may, um, Member Crawford, so come November, if you're interested in continuing in another two year in a two year term, um, there are a few of the seats that expire in November. So I would be reaching out to you to see if you want to continue. Um, if you're in your first term, then you can go to a second term uh, for another two years. And then we'll take at that time in November, we'll give you another oath of office if that works out. Thank you. Great. Um, well, given this information, uh, Andrea, I'd like to make a motion uh, to, to put you up as vice chair. I saw Bart I'll second that motion. This is Pantoja. Very good. Uh, public comment on this motion, please. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 2487-551-4950, then press pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. Um, I don't see any hands raised. So we can go on to the vote. Yes, please. Uh, roll call. Thanks. Member Crawford. Aye. Member Gein. Aye. Member Larkin. Aye. Chair Matthews. Aye. Member McHugh, just absent. Member Pantoja. Aye. And Member Sanderlin. Aye. Okay, the motion is approved. All right. Oh, thank you. Um, so let's move to item five, please. Item five, approval with possible modification of the minutes of the June 6, 2022 meeting. I'll make a motion to accept the meeting minutes. Second. I'll second. Great. Uh, make public comment on this, please. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 2487-551-4950, then press pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted 
and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. <clears throat> um, I don't see any hands raised. So maybe close public comment. Yes, please. And let's take a vote. All right. Mem Member Crawford. Aye. Member Gein. Aye. Member Larkin. Aye. Chair Matthews. Aye. Member McHugh is absent. Member Pantoja. Aye. And Member Sanderlin. Aye. Okay, the minutes were adopted, accepted. Great, thank you. Uh, if we may move to item six, please. Sure, presentation from various departments about the 2010, 2014, and 2020 earthquake safety and emergency response bonds and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. The first speaker we have is Charles Higueras. Good morning, the Chair Matthews and commissioners. My name is Charles Higueras. I am the acting director of the Project Management Bureau for Public Works. I'm also the Earthquake Safety and Emergency Response Bond Program Manager, uh, ESER for short. As you know, we have passed three bond measures uh, since the first measure in 2010. Um, perennial uh, components on these bond programs have been uh, both the auxiliary water supply system, now known as emergency firefighting water system, um, and neighborhood fire stations. Over the three bonds uh, that have occurred or are occurring, uh, we have also introduced other first responder entities to basically uh, address the, 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 the rubric of earthquake safety and emergency response in San Francisco. Uh, the overview on your, on this first slide rather, uh, depicts each of the bond components in each of the bond measures of 2010, 2014, and 2020. Um, and the photograph in the bottom right-hand corner is a uh, fairly recently inaugurated uh, major city facility, the Traffic Company and Forensic Services Division uh, facility. Next slide, please. So we do understand that uh, you have a very packed agenda this morning. And uh, we'll work through these slides as quickly as we can. I should hasten to say that the ma the managers, the project managers for the components, will uh, be asked to uh, briefly uh, present their particular projects. In regard to highlights and accomplishments, uh, in June of 2022, we were able to award a contract to make the structural improvement project at Mission Police Station possible. Uh, we've also uh, bid out and received three bids. Uh, for the 911 call center renovation, also within ESER 2020. We were able to receive the interdepartmental MOU that was submitted to uh, San Francisco Fire Department after about a one-year unfortunate delay. And uh, the Board of Supervisors approved the resolution to execute a purchase and sale agreement with Prologis, which is a developer, uh, for the parcel on which the fire training facility is expected to be situated. That occurred in April of this year. Um, upcoming milestones is a final completion of the fire station 35 uh, at pier 22 and a half. And we're also making some final adjustments to the gates at traffic company forensic services division, um, but more significantly, the public art installation by the arts commission is anticipated to occur in 2022. 
2023. Uh, as expected, uh, as I mentioned, rather, the ESER 911 call center project uh, will uh, issue an NTP, we expect, in the second quarter of the fiscal year. And finally, on milestones, the California State Lands Commission is expected to authorize the sale of port property uh, for the sake of the fire training facility, and that's anticipated in late fall of this year, 2022. Um, as regards bond sales and appropriations, um, as you can well imagine, both ESCR 2010 and ESCR 2014 have sold all their bonds. Um, ESCR 2020 has issued two bond sales initially for a, a total value of $167 million, uh, inclusive of bond financing costs. The risk issues and concerns on budget scope and schedules um, are, as uh, indicated here, price escalation on uh, important and critical, necessary building materials is has been the highest we've seen in very recent time. Um, skills shortages and increased labor costs accrued to, you know, the tumult of the COVID and uh, the, uh, the flow of labor to where the work is. Um, and it isn't always the case that the, the worker availability in the city is as we would want to have it. This is a, it's a complicated um, sort of situation but it does account for uh, a struggle often to find uh, labor to apply to the work. Um, permitting review and approval delays are unfortunately a perennial phenomenon and they do delay the delivery of work and, and that has a marked uh, impact on the cost of work because as we know, escalation accrues each year. Um, supply demands uh, or delays rather uh, owing to what we all have seen in the news in recent time are, are extending scheduled durations. Uh, local ordinances often are passed to create uh, new components of cost uh, that previously were unexpected. Certainly when we um, determine the bonds, a sum for each of the components, they're done many years uh, before it actually even gets to um, the, the ballot or, or certainly to construction. And in that interim time, there can be the new ordinances passed that create additional cost obligations on projects. And, and finally, uh, PG&E um, yeah, continues to be, um, I won't call them a nemesis, I'll call them um, uh, a reluctant in, uh, participant often in the work that we do. Uh, we, as you know, have a time-honored um, uh, relationship with PG&E that isn't always the best. And the result of that, I think, in large part, is, uh, is, is a bureaucracy that tends to delay the implementation of work uh, by them for city projects. Next slide, please. And this is a slide where I will introduce one of our project managers. Um, in this particular uh, case, it is Sherry Katz. I'll ask Sherry to speak to the neighborhood fire stations. And actually, I I hasten to add, Magdalena Ryer as well, I apologize, is another project manager involved with neighborhood fire stations. So you'll be hearing from her as well. Yes, um, so this is Sherry. Um, uh, under ESER 2010, uh, fire station 14 generator replacement, uh, you see fire station 14 there, um, will be bid uh, in the first uh, calendar quarter of 2023. And on, and on um, Fire Station 16 is Magdalena's project. And that project has- I think, I think I, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Yeah, uh, this is Magdalena Ryer. Uh, good morning, commissioners. Uh, so uh, Fire Station 16 has been completed for 
quite some time. Um, so there's really nothing to report. Um, it's completed, the client has moved in over a year and a half ago. Um, so the project is done. Thank you, Magdalena. Thank you, Sherry. Sherry, would you like to continue with your generators? Oh, yes. Um, so under uh, NFS 2014, uh, um, let's see, Fire Station 2 uh, should be, uh, we will achieve substantial completion probably at the end of next week. And Fire Station uh, 19 will advertise, uh, if that is the last uh, focus scope project under ESER 2014. And that will be scheduled to bid. It's actually next in the queue for bid advertisement um, by the end of this year. Okay, and Fireboat Station 35. Uh, today we are finalizing our last uh, change order. Um, so we are hoping to issue um, certificate of final completion by the end of this month, uh, final change order, and the project will be closed and only some a few minor warranty items are on the list. But um, end of this month um, is very important. We are working very hard, have several meetings scheduled, as a matter of fact, one at 11 o'clock, very important with fire department. Um, so um, I'm, I'm very happy that uh, we are closing this project in actually record time. Uh, yeah, I would jump in here to call your attention to the fact that focus scope projects have been the backbone of the um, projects we've rendered in Easter 2010 and 2014, uh, literally dozens upon dozens of very specific, critical, critically important projects at each of the stations, all of the stations we've addressed in one, one way or another to ensure their continued reliability for their purpose. Uh, we have had a handful of major projects we fall, fall into the seismic and comprehensive category. Uh, but the meat and potatoes, if you will, of the bond over the last two bonds of 2010 and 14 have been within the focus scope category. Next slide, please. The, I'll speak to this slide. Uh, this is uh, Easter, Easter 2020, Newport Fire Station 2020. Um, the principal project in this uh, component is the fire training facility. It's a replacement of the existing facility at um, Treasure Island and a, um, I guess an adjunct facility uh, at Fire Station 7 in the Mission uh, here in the city. And this is a project that uh, has been uh, long planned and awaited. Uh, we began planning on this uh, project in 2018, uh, ahead of the bond and in anticipation of a successful bond passage. Um, unfortunately, the project was put on hold in the fall of 2021, uh, but as I mentioned earlier, it has resumed with the um, re-engagement with the fire department on the memorandum of understanding, which of course is a necessary instrument for allowing us to continue with uh, full faith and confidence, if you will, in the development and delivery of the project. Uh, we are working, as I mentioned earlier, in regard to securing a remaining parcel to assemble the site. Uh, the lion's share of the site is was was uh, made possible through the, the resolution, the purchase that I mentioned again earlier, that, that was the developer that sold the property to the city, uh, but we're still seeking to secure a, a fairly small but important uh, portion of the site so that we have a full regular, uh, regularly sized uh, 
parcel to develop the project. We, we will be um, uh, reiterating the building's program, uh, which is to say the needs and expectations of the fire department in regard to this project. Uh, we had an initial uh, 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 statement of that purpose, uh, but we have to reiterate it. Uh, we've also actually selected the arch executive architect for the project that was done just recently. We're gonna be in the process of bringing them under contract over the next few months. And we will be putting out an RFP, an RFQ for the construction manager, general contractor, uh, sometime in this fall. I, I'm expecting that will occur in November of this year. The total project uh, budget is $270 million. And that's inclusive of land cost. Thank you. Next slide, please. And for that, I will ask Magdalena to speak to the police facilities. Yeah, so that would be uh, short and sweet. <clears throat> All this work is uh, completed. Um, the only one uh, is Bayview and Tenderloin that uh, we are working on issuing the final uh, payments to contractor. And the delay uh, in issuing the final payment was due to some stop notices filed by, filed by subcontractors. So the project is still in financial closeout, but um, I was told by uh, my RE that uh, this payment will be issued uh, sometime this week. Uh, by the end of this of this month, it will be financially closed also by the other stations. And this is uh, police stations and support facilities uh, under ESER 2020, as I mentioned. Uh, the Mission uh, Police Station is um, is about to start construction, actually. Uh, the other major project is the replacement of the Ingleside Police Station in Balboa Park, for those of you familiar with that location. We have developed our schematic design through about 50% schematic design, um, and that was achieved in May of this year. We're doing uh, an associated other project. In order to be able to replace the Ingleside Station, we need an alternative venue uh, to stage all of the patrol units that typically um, deploy from the Ingleside Police Station. Uh, that concept design for that facility is uh, now complete. Um, it's being uh, estimated. It is expected to uh, occur at the newly acquired building um, police facility uh, uh, at Egbert Street. It uh, will house principally uh, their property control division, but in the interim, uh, while we're building uh, the Ingleside Station, it will be the home of the uh, patrol uh, from Ingleside Station. Um, upcoming milestones um, are an RFP for the builder, the, the CMGC, the Construction Manager General Contractor, that's expected to occur, what well, was expected to have occurred actually last month, but uh, it's being postponed. It will probably occur in, in the fall of this year. And again, mission station underway with construction. Next slide, please. For this slide, if my manager Rosetto is present, I would ask him to speak to it. If not, I will. Michael, are you with us? It appears that he's not. Uh, this project, as I mentioned, was recently completed. Um, the, the, the lingering, if you will, component of this project is the art installation, which is to occur in the courtyard, you'll see that photograph on the bottom right-hand corner. Uh, that is the courtyard of the building, and it is expected to, um, uh, well, where, where we are expecting, rather, to place the art installation. Uh, did I see Michael join the call here? Charles, I am Charles, here. I am. Okay, please uh, 
Go ahead, Mike. I think there's a bit of echo. You can go ahead, Mike. So yes, as Charles was explaining, this is the public uh, courtyard that faces Evans Avenue. And uh, just to the right of where the flag poles are, uh, in the image, you can see some people standing there. That's the approximate location of the art public art installation. And that has, um, for a variety of reasons related to supply chain, um, has been delayed. And the current understanding is that that's scheduled for uh, next summer for that installation. It, it will be a series of plexiglass uh, 10 by 10 cubes stacked vertically. So it'll be a bit of a tower. Um, but other than that, the foundation work for it was completed under the base contract of the project. So that's it's all ready to go, just waiting for the art itself to be installed. Great. Thank you, Michael. Next slide, please. Emergency firefighting water system. I believe we have representatives from the Public Utilities Commission here. Perhaps not. As I mentioned, uh, for, uh, well, I think you all, have, uh, those commissioners certainly have been with the commission for some time, familiar with uh, the former uh, auxiliary water supply system. That was the original um, uh, high pressure dedicated water system inaugurated in 1913 uh, that we began to uh, readdress, if you will. Um, and there were a number of projects that were undertaken to bring the system back into a, a state of reliable operation. Um, certainly all of the in existing infrastructure was, was, was a focus of ESER 2010 and, and subsequently. Uh, the remaining project in ESER 2010 that must be completed is the pumping station number two at Aquatic Park. For those of you familiar with Aquatic Park, uh, you may have seen a large building off to the side. Uh, it is the pumping station. And there are two pumping stations. The other one is at the um, police headquarters on 2nd and Townsend. And these pumping stations are effectively draw water from the bay, introduce it and charge the, the, the pipe network in the city that then uh, is able to uh, provide the water at the uh, high pressure hydrants that are located um, throughout a lot of the city. Not all of the city, because that installation, as I mentioned, dates from 2013. So a great number of projects, 80, as you can see in total, were accomplished under ESA 2010 in order to uh, strengthen the existing uh, uh, AWSS uh, network. Next slide, please. Uh, in 2014, uh, uh, continued work uh, to uh, both strengthen the, uh, the pipe network system, principally pipe network system constituted the lion's share of work occurring under ESA 2014. Uh, it's nearly complete, as you can see, um, and uh, there is uh, still some work, as I said, in the pipeline, but we're expecting that will complete next year. Next slide, please. ESA 2020 uh, is focused on creating a greater availability of fire water system on the west side of the city, effectively. Um, as I mentioned, the system was originally installed in 1913 in what was then San Francisco, which uh, not for you history buffs, but for you folks who are well aware of, this, of, the, of, this, of the city's history, uh, was largely in the Northeast quadrant of San Francisco. The 
other uh, regions, if you will, of the city were generally under or unpopulated. Um, so our interest uh, in this bond program and in any future bond program is to create as much equivalence of the availability of, of, of firefighting uh, water throughout the city. And there's different ways of doing it. We cannot um, uh, replicate, if you will, the approach that was taken in, in 1913, which is to say a, a thick network of pipes throughout. Uh, we have to be more strategic, more judicious in how we implement uh, a program to provide a parity in firefighting water system throughout the city. And so there are uh, specific pipelines that will be planned to be distributed on the west side of the city. Uh, we will also need uh, additional manifold uh, for the fireboat, which is another source of charging the system. The fireboat can charge the system uh, through manifolds that are located along the Embarcadero. And of course that would serve uh, the entirety of the city that uh, has access to the high pressure water system. Next slide, please. For this, uh, I will ask uh, project manager Lisa Zhao to speak. Good morning, commissioners and uh, everyone on this panel this morning. Uh, my name is Lisa Zhao. I'm the project manager on the 911 call center renovation project. So this project was advertised in May this year, and we received three bids um, in June 2022. Um, we did receive a bid protest in July, and we're working um, certifying all the bid packages and and um, attempting to um, identify the lowest responsible bidder and award the construction contract later this year. Thank you, Lisa. Next slide. And for this, we will ask project manager Dan Maurer with uh, Reckon Park to speak. Thanks, Charles. Good morning, committee members. Uh, Dan Maurer here with the Recreation and Park Department project manager. Um, so this is an exciting project, obviously a new partnership with uh, the Easter program uh, with Rec Park. We have a, a project here at the pavilion. I, I, I believe uh, I presented a high level overview at a previous meeting, but essentially we, uh, the pavilion is currently a recreation facility, which is a historic structure within a historic district of Golden Gate Park. And we're looking to um, renovate this seismically challenged structure. Um, the gymnasium and uh, remove the annex structure on the back side, the west side of the building, and uh, construct a new annex facility, which is in keeping with the historic character of the, the, the gymnasium. Um, the the particular uh, uh, opportunities that we have here is blending both a recreation facility with a DEM facility for uh, in the event of an emergency, and and um, designing a facility that can do 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 dual function uh, in uh, any particular need. So on a day-to-day -day basis, the facility be renovated and operating as a recreation hub uh, for this uh, corner of the city. Uh, in the event of emergency, uh, the idea would be that the facility would be turned over to management of DEM for uh, any one of many uh, uh, requirements that they may see depending on the, the type of emergency that's at hand, either from a shelter, a local assistance center, uh, a community point of distri distribution, um, logistic staging area, or base camp or mutual aid staging. staging. Um, right now, we are engaging with the deputy director at DEM to get uh, their uh, feedback as we develop our concept plan here. Um, we're working with the Department of Public Works on refining our design, uh, integrating DEM's feedback on their needs. 
um, so that we may marry those two together well. And in concert with that, doing uh, this work uh, with the uh, city planning department and uh, their historic preservation group to make sure that all our suggestions and moves here are gonna be uh, appropriate for this structure. Um, again, we're going through uh, a lot of fine tuning of our concept plan right now. And uh, we did have a little bit of slowdown during the winter or during the summer here with vacations and, and folks off. But uh, coming this month, we uh, plan to ramp up again and move this through uh, the review process at city planning. Uh, I think as Charles mentioned at the beginning of his presentation, uh, all capital projects across the city and Bay Area are struggling with costs and, and trying to forecast uh, capital improvement projects. Uh, as part of our project here, we are engaging with third party estimators and recalibrating uh, estimates as we move forward so that we can get a, uh, a clearer picture on today's uh, market conditions and how it impacts budgets. Um, we're actually going to get an, uh, a, a third set of eyes on it as well because it's so dynamic and variable at the moment. Uh, having multiple uh, points of feedback are going to be critical to moving this project forward within our, our approved budget. Um, so over the next quarter, we're looking to, again, engage with DEM and get fine-tune their needs as part of the project and also um, enter into our phase two component of our historic preservation component on the project with the planning department. Uh, so we're anxious to do that. Uh, in parallel, we're, we're going to try to move forward with a CMGC project on this particular uh, project because I think it's going to be important to bring a contractor on early and help us um, value engineer and give us creative ways of getting to the finish line in this project. Uh, so we are looking to do an RFP for a GMC uh, contractor in the next uh, four to six months. Um, so that's kind of a quick status overview of the project. Happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Dan. As I mentioned, um, well, we all know San Francisco is a very distinguished place, distinguished city in so many wonderful ways, but unfortunately, we also have the distinction of being um, presumably, according to uh, an international project management, construction management enterprise, the most expensive city to build in, in the entire world. Um, that may not come as a surprise to some of you who are close to the, you know, the industry, if you will. Uh, but for most folks, it, it, is, it is an eye-opener, of course, uh, that we uh, enjoy, and I use that word advisedly, that distinction. Um, and so our work as managers of major capital work really demands that we be extra uh, circumspect about how we develop projects, that we um, design projects to a budget, not budget a design. So we don't lead with what our design ambitions are and then hope it comes in on on budget, we, we work with a very sort of mindfulness regarding the cost of work and the understanding that our cost per square foot is very high. And so we go into this uh, enterprise of delivering projects on budget with, with eyes wide open. Next slide, please. Uh, the, the most salient fact here is that we're at 90% um, expended and appropriated. Uh, so as I said, uh, at the very front end of this presentation, nearly complete. Next slide. These are 2014. Again, the salient percentage here is 94% expenditure over appropriation. So uh, again, nearly complete, except for those uh, particular projects that were described to you. And these are 2020. Of course, we're starting out um, only, only, only two bond sales of about $167 million, uh, which we've expended about 51 million. And so we're at 30%.
Mr. Maurer, you might have just cut out. Uh, I'm I'm here. Oh, I was just speaking. Um, Charles, who cut out? Charles. Sorry, Charles. Yeah, Charles cut out. I think for a Thanks. moment there. Uh, sorry. Um, so I'll repeat my comments on the Easter 2020. I think you all heard Thank what you. I said about 114. Yes. So 2014 at 30%. We're just underway. There are of course many more years of, uh, of work uh, to to do uh, to realize the capital projects that are listed in this bond. And it's an enterprise that uh, obviously we take very seriously. Uh, we want to continue to enjoy the support of, of the residents of the city who have voted uh, nearly 80% each time out in support of this bond program. It is very important work. Uh, we're very blessed to have some very uh, cooperative uh, departments, um, sister departments, brother departments uh, that uh, we work very closely with to ensure that uh, we develop and deliver these projects according to expectation. So I'll stop there and um, open up for any questions that you might have. And thank you for listening. I had some. Thank you, Commissioner. Okay. Um, I congratulate you on getting what um, the TCFSD completed ahead of schedule. That's great. Um, but you said the artwork is not going to be completed until next year. You've given substantial completion to your general contractor. So um, um, my question is, will that delay in getting the artwork installed? Cause added costs with your general com general contractor, or are you having that done under a different contract or with city forces? I'll ask Michael to speak to that commissioner, and then I'll follow up if I need. Okay. Uh, yes, this is Michael. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Uh, so the um, the foundation work was done performed by Clark Construction under the base project. Um, the remainder of the uh, art installation itself will be a contractor hired by the arts commission under the under the artists contract. Okay. So, in other words, Clark Construction as the general contractor for the building proper, they have no further uh, obligation related to the art installation. Good, because yeah, that was really my question. If there was going to be a delay claim from from Clark, because they're going to have to hang around for. A, you know, several more months to, to do some work that's really, you know, outside the main scope and, and can be done separately. So that, that's that's good news. Right. Um, on an, on the emergency generator station, I think it's station two. It looks like substantial completion was supposed to have been in December of last year, December 14th. And now it's going to be now. Maybe it was Thursday. Um, why the delay? Project manager Sherry Katz, I believe, can respond to that. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, good morning again. Um, we had uh, quite a long delay on the delivery of the generator. Normally, it takes about 12 weeks uh, to deliver a generator once it's procured by the contractor. In this case, it was procured uh, in, or delivered uh, in 44 weeks. So we have these um, these very extraordinary um equipment delays by the manufacturers was I, that city I, su city supplied equipment or was that part of the the 
the contract, the general contractor scope of work? That was part of the general contractor scope of work. Okay. So you're not liable for the delays. He may be exposed, the contractor may expose to liquidated damages, or, or you're just going to forgive those because it's one of these COVID related supply chain things. It is force majeure. And so therefore, we don't. Um, uh, we don't accept any uh, extended general conditions, nor do we assess liquidated damages. Yeah, okay, but force majeure, I, I think that's that's correct. Good. Um, you see, I, you listed, this is for Charles, you, you listed a bunch of contracts that were substantially complete, and I just wanted to get an idea, were, were they delivered on time? Did you, did you delay the contractor? Do you have any pending delay claims related to any of those? We do not. Good. That's also good news. And I'm just going to say that I think it was in your second slide, you had a quadrant, four quadrants, and I think the fourth quadrant, bear with me, let me go, let me go back there. Mm -hmm. And it, it listed some problems, I guess, continuing problems that you've had with different agencies. And that's always a concern to to me as a representative of, of the, the taxpayers. Yes, it was. It's item number four on your second slide: risks, issues, or concerns on budget scope or schedules. Um, you had permitting review and approval delays extending project schedule duration and supply delays extending construction. Actually, the permitting review item and the local ordinance that create new components of additional cost. Um, are those local problems, in other words, the permitting review, is that city agencies that are causing those problems there? By and large, yes. Um, you know, both our planning and building departments are, are great partners, but um, you know, they're, they're often uh, constrained by their own labor shortages, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, there have been a lot of people, not, I wouldn't call it the great resignation, but I do know that there's been, uh, the city right now has a lot of, of vacant positions. Um, so consequently, you know, more work for fewer people. Um, and that often is a reason why uh, that things become delayed uh, as they have during, during COVID, of course. Um, the, the work from home didn't always produce the highest productivity for certain departments. <laughs> and so in, in that respect, then we saw, you know, impact to the duration of review periods and being able to secure permits in, in a timely way. Um, you know, it isn't something that I would say is easily is formulaic where you put it in and you can bet on it coming up five or six or seven weeks later. Um, it, it is subject to the, the workflow at those departments. And so uh, it, it, there's often a big plus or minus, usually plus in regards to the time required to secure permits. Um, you know, it, because we know this to be true, uh, we as managers have to plan, um, uh, we, well, as the adage goes, um, expect the best, but prepare for the worst. Uh, we have to plan with durations of time that we know are more realistic uh, than what we would like to see the case. Uh, so that's incumbent on us to be able to somehow mitigate some of that unfortunate uh, protraction in the review of projects. Mm. Um, are, are these the delays in getting the permits, are they typically just delayed, for instance, notice to proceed for the contractor, or are these permits that you're getting after notice to proceed, so there is a delay to the contractor's work. Um, depends on the, on the project delivery model that's uh, applied to the project. So uh, our CMGC, which is Construction Manager General Contractor, right. 
um, is, is different from a regular design bid build. Uh, we like to have the permit before you, you go to bid. Um, with uh, CMGC, we, we, we often um, are bidding progressively as, as we get underway with the contracts so that we can get to the work that we can do sooner, as soon as possible, and then bid out the work that follows subsequently. Um, so we, we do have to be very judicious in how we understand that permitting sort of interface uh, because we, we can't afford to uh, stop a job and wait for the permit to roll in. Um, so it, it's a very dynamic process on what is our principal delivery model, CMGC. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you're managing it then. I mean, you're anticipating with CMGC, you're anticipating there there is the problem, but as the work is progressing, maybe you can delay notice to proceed for a subcontractor for something for which you don't yet have a permit that you expected to have the permit. Is, is that the case? Yeah, well, we, we never want to get out uh, in front of a permit uh, yeah. process. Um, uh, there are some cases, frankly, when we are compelled, but we do so in, in a very uh, careful way to ensure that uh, we're, we're not running afoul of any life safety or other uh, sort of necessary attribute uh, for that work. Um, and so it, it is something that we're accustomed to managing, uh, I guess you could say adroitly, um, but we always do so with an eye towards minimizing the exposure of the risk to, to everyone on, on every sort of account uh, that we can uh, expect or, or imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I understand it's a little bit of a wild card. Um, and on the, the, the bullet point, not directly after that, but one down from a local ordinances that create new components of additional cost. Um, is that again, a city related problem? Something that, you know, one department's doing something and it's affecting you and you don't have any control over it. No, it's 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 not a departmental thing per se. It generally accrues from um, sort of a citywide uh, uh, application of, of a new requirement, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, just historically, for example, um, uh, moving with the city used to require uh, that all buildings be designed silver lead as you know lead is the sort of uh, yeah. preeminent accreditation for sustainable design right uh, then they up the ante to gold um i haven't heard word that it will be up further but i can imagine in the future there will be maybe a platinum requirement <laughs> yeah Each successive level carries a, a level of cost uh, that's higher and higher and and i've also heard mentioned that by i believe 2050 the city wants to be net zero on energy consumption, um, which is, I think, a very admirable goal, uh, but it, but it will come with a cost, a substantial cost. Um, separately, in recent time, we have sought to wean ourselves off of um, fossil fuel, natural gas specifically. City requires that new buildings be electrified. Well, that will carry a cost as well. Sure. Um, and, and it even carries maybe even the. Um, a practicability kind of uh, impact in, in regard to whether you can accomplish a building as successfully using only electricity versus natural gas. Um, there are arguments, of course, on both sides of that. Yeah. Uh, but but all of these well-intentioned and I think uh, long view uh, and, and prudent measures to improve the circumstances of our, of our environment do carry initial costs. Yeah. And those well, are the ones that have to be plugged in and if they're not anticipated when we're setting bond sums as expected impact costs, we're gonna find ourselves um, 
uh, on the shorts, if you will, of being able to implement the, the, the basic functional program for the new projects because it's, it's going to be spent on other things, not necessarily on literally the cost uh, of functional space. Um, so we have to be very mindful of that as we're planning new bonds. You know, and the way you're explaining it now, I, it sounds less like you were blindsided by a requirement in the middle of a contract that was already, say, under construction. And all of a sudden, as, as using your example, you went from gold to platinum certification and we're having to write change orders to a, to a contractor that's already working, in which case yeah, no. you're going to pay such a premium as to make it, you know, questionable as well as whether it's worthwhile but if it's in it sounds like you're com not complaint but your problem is just that it adds costs that you hadn't anticipated when you went and and gave the cost estimate for for the bond that you know there this was an increase that the city decided was worth paying but wasn't what you anticipated when you said here's how much we need for the bond and that and that's fair that 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 shouldn't be your problem that should be the city government's problem well, that, no, that's correct. I don't want to be misunderstood. These things don't emerge in the middle of a job and then create yeah. a new burden that we hadn't anticipated. They do occur. They can occur um, after we've already set the, the sum for the bond. And now, now we're beholden to it, so to speak, because it, it will manifest during the time we're developing the project. So it'll get triggered. The, the obligation will get triggered you know, uh, after we've set the bond sum, um, but before we've actually executed on the work. Yeah. And... I can see that that's just nothing over which you have a whole lot of control, but it's, again, the city has decided, we, the, the voters of the city have decided that this this is worth it to us. We'll just have to come up with the money someplace else because you know any change like that has a cost. Ultimately, we're the taxpayers, we're the owners, we have to come up with that money, fair enough. Um, but the last bullet point on this section was PG&E's practices create schedule delays. I'll just, but I'll just mention them, knowing full well that this is an ongoing problem, probably be from before you and I were born. The, fr the franchise with PG&E goes back, yes, a, a lot longer than either you and I have been alive. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the intrigue, unfortunately, has just heightened across the many decades to, to where we have a um, somewhat of an adversarial relationship with them, depending on, on, on what's being asked uh, of them. Um, and uh, it, it's no secret, uh, you know, the, the problem that the folks have with PG&E throughout the state, not just in the city. We have a special circumstance here because of, of you know, the, uh, the unique franchise agreement that we have with them. Um, and it doesn't help the matter that we want to acquire their infrastructure. And they're very resistant to that, naturally. Um, yeah. and, and therein lies the, the intrigue that emerges across the span of different projects. Well, if it were an easy problem to solve, it would have been solved a long time ago. So I, I just wanted to allude to it, recognize it, but know that it probably isn't going to get solved anytime soon. And we're working on it. There are, there are folks who are continuously involved with trying to seek the best path forward, working yeah. with them. It, it, it's, there's no resignation, per se. Uh, rather, it's, it's just being super attentive and uh, seeking to... to, to not, not coerce them, but to persuade them to, to participate and to cooperate with us on, on the delivery of their services essential to our projects. I wish you well with that. Thank you. That, that's all I had. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Commissioner. Mute. 
this this is Commissioner Ponto. I do have a, a comment and question for uh, Mr. Higueras. And, and actually, on this slide, um, if I may, so the skills shortage. You mentioned that uh, city permitting all the, the some of the more administrative side that they are running short, and I can understand that. Uh, what I do know is that in the construction side of things, we have thousands of construction workers looking to get to work. So uh, the skill shortage is something I was curious as to what other skill shortages beyond the construction. Because like I said, I'm aware of the construction situation that we actually do have a lot of people looking to get to work. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Commissioner, for that. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of great folks in the trades that are they're looking to work. Um, we, we would like corresponding opportunities for, for all those folks to work. Um, you know, we, we obviously in the city, we don't manage the workforce per se. We, 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 we seek to influence it. It's disposition towards city work to encourage um, the use of certainly uh, local hire um, and, and other, uh, in a sense, uh, programs to present the labor force that we have available here within San Francisco. Um, you know, it's, it, San Francisco is an expensive city to live. Um, and then so a lot of folks are compelled to travel from beyond uh, to, 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 to participate in projects here in San Francisco. Um, you know, when skilled shortages isn't meant to say that we have unskilled people. We, we have plenty of skilled people involved, but sometimes, you know, we, we hear from builders because obviously, as I said, we don't, we, we don't cure the individual trades, uh, that certain um, trades oftentimes are, are slammed or uh, unavailable because there's more attractive work in other places. Um, and that can create a deficit in, in interest or, or, or capacity uh, from a particular, uh, for a particular project. Um, you know, we, we try to be as competitive as we can. We, we, we do like to think that the city is a great source of, of, of project opportunity, which I believe it, it's unarguable that we, that we are, or that we can be you know, yet again, better in that respect. Um, but it it just it's just the volatility of this time, the the COVID, the post-COVID era, and and how people are sorting out their own sort of trajectories for a career opportunity and 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 otherwise. Um, so it's it's like we we I think we have a very good rapport, as you know. We we have a project labor agreement now um, that uh, we ex are are expecting will better ensure a flow of of workforce to our projects. Will be a more attractive uh, opportunity again, as I said. For folks uh, to to want to uh, apply themselves, uh, so there's 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 I think things that we can anticipate will improve. Uh, I'm not so optimistic about uh, the escalation of costs for building materials that just seems to continuously go higher. Uh, I would put that and frankly the um, the uh, the supply chain delays is 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 the more sort of tangible uh, threats, if you will. Uh, to our ability to deliver work um, on, on time and on budget. Um, like again, we've got a great labor force out there, and we we just want to encourage you know that that interest in the work that we do uh, through obviously our general contractor partners. Yeah, and so my point is like so I, I I'm well aware of the the situation with the workforce when it comes to the construction side, and I did hear that the administrative side as far as getting the permits, the, the difficulty you have there, there is vacancy where people are not actually there to, to help process this stuff. Right. Uh, without, my question actually was, what other shortages in, in labor do you see? Because 
I mean, construction management, I mean, are they saying that they're the, the construction management teams are, are lacking uh, assistance? Because I, I know the guy, the, the men and women on the field, that they're waiting to go to work. They're there. It's different. There's not like there's not, they're unemployed because they don't have a job to go to. Yeah. So, you know, the, so my question to you is, I understand, yes, administrative side when it comes to city permits and things like that, there's vacancy and things aren't processed as fast as they could be. Where else are you seeing that shortage? Well, I would say what we're seeing is, uh, you know, it's it's episodic, Commissioner, that, you know, you're more seasoned people. Sometimes it seems they're retiring all at the same time. Uh, we, we What we see often among folks who are involved with construction management, for example, uh, folks who we hired to participate in the work as project engineers or, or the, the builders hire as project engineers um, are very young. And, and not as experienced, and they obviously will become experienced. But in the meanwhile, they're they're li literally learning on the job, and so sometimes that presents a bit of a, a risk, if you will, if they're not being properly uh, managed or oversight provided to them. And that's sometimes what we witness um, am among folks who are on the, if you will, on the uh, on the white collar side of the industry. Um, Again, nothing that we can do to influence. That just happens to be the capacity of the marketplace to bring forward uh, really well-experienced individuals. Um, so in our role, uh, we, we have to uh, expect or demand uh, that we have the better qualified people applied to key roles in the delivery work when they're um, on that, as I said, white collar side of the delivery of, of, of projects. Thank you. Uh, thank you for answering my question. Appreciate it. Thank you. Great. Uh, so I think if we can take public comment on this agenda item, and then we'll be able to move forward. Thanks, folks. If there's no other commissioner comments or questions. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code, Two four eight seven five five one four nine five zero. Then press pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. So I'm just checking the color queue, and I do not see any hands raised. Okay. Uh, well, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Garris and your team for the report. And I think we should move to agenda item seven. Please, Roseanne. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah Matthews. Appreciate the uh, invitation this morning. And congratulations on your elevation to chair. <laughs> thank you very much. Okay. So, um, Alex Chang, I've made you a presenter. So you can start loading your presentation. Item seven, presentation from various departments about the 2020 health and homelessness parks and streets, recovery bonds and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. Great, thanks Roseanne, I'll start. Um, my name is Stacy Bradley. I am the director of 
Capital and Planning and uh, Recreation and Parks Department. Um, this presentation is on is our first to all of you. So good morning. Uh, thank you for having us. It's the 2020 Health and Recovery Bond uh, that was passed in November 2020 for $487.5 million. Um, it was passed in the midst of the pandemic and it's really focused on supporting physical and mental health and wellness opportunities with capital investments in parks, uh, rights of way, as well as for residents experiencing mental health challenges, substance abuse disorders, and um, homelessness. So I'm going to start and then I will hand it over to Public Works with Edmund Lee, um, and then he will hand it to HSH, uh, Budget Director Samuel Thompson, Thomas, sorry, and um, then we'll end with Department of Public Health with Kathy Jung and Jason Soup. Next slide, please. As you know, we are part of the capital plan and um, this is showing the trajectory for the next 10 years. Next slide. Thanks, next one. Okay, for um, our first bond sale with the parks department, we received $176.5 million. Um, the first bond sale was in August of 21. It funded for us all neighborhood parks, which you can see highlighted in yellow. Um, I'm going to go through most of them, but not all of them for some highlights. Um, it also funded a recovery park, Portsmouth Square, and then trails, um, million dollars to, towards Twin Peaks, and partially funded um, the remaining citywide parks and programs to allow us to initiate and start planning projects. Next slide, please. Uh, from our issuance, we have expended just over $5 million, about 3%. We've encumbered $53 million or 33%, uh, mostly in two projects, which I'll get to shortly. And then we have the balance to move through. Uh, next slide. I'm going to start with our India Basin project. This is, uh, we are embarking on phase two of three. We just finished phase one, 900 Innis remediation. Um, and we are actually having a community day to celebrate finishing this important project for us. Uh, it's a Saturday, you're all welcome to join and see the fun at India Basin. Um, we This project is going to, is remediating an industrial waterfront and we're creating um, our new park space here. The uh, 900 Innis is the area with the two piers going into the water, right sort of on the left of your screen. Um, and thank you. And uh, just above that is the Shipwrights Cottage, which we'll be renovating as part of this project. Um, along with delivering our capital improvements, we're uh, working to deliver more for the community and um, we're, we're working on an equitable development plan with community partners. Uh, some of the ways that we're doing this is in, in making sure that our construction um, is really targeting local businesses and um, we've also partnering with OEWD to strengthen our workforce development. Um, this project was estimated at $29 million. This, this piece of the project was estimated at $29 million, came in at over $50 million. Our um, bid for the project, we have additional sources to allow us to deliver the project. Um, the, those sources include state grants, Prop 68, as well as private funding and um, general fund allocations as well. Okay, next, um, next slide. 
Here we have Jean Friend. This one we're um, also encumbering. We are just at the commission. Oh, I'm sorry, in India Basin, we um, approved the contract award in July. Um, for Jean Friend, we approved the CMGC contract award in August just last week. And um, this is going to completely um, renovate an existing recreation center with um, a curb-to-curb -curb renovation. We will have two indoor courts, uh, multi-purpose rooms, as well as um, outdoor courts and new playground amenities. Um, this project is moving forward uh, with the CMGC contract. We have um, a delay in securing impact fees for this project. We're anticipating, we've received a portion of them, but we are anticipating $25 million from the central SOMA fees. Uh, but due to the delay in construction, um, or I guess the pause in public con in private construction, um, we have not yet received these funds. However, we've decided to um, shift some impact fees, some cash on hand that we've already received, as well as use some some of the funds from the um, bond programs that align with the delivery of this project in um, to allow us to move forward with this important project for the city and the community while we wait for those development impact fees. We have decided to value engineer the project to deliver um, the same thing, most of the, the core elements of the project, but on a smaller footprint so that we can deliver at this budget and um, with providing this bridge loan for the project. Next slide, please. Portsmouth Square is also a very important project for the city and for our department. It's in the midst of, in the middle of Chinatown. Um, this project hadn't required an EIR to go through the process to, to get it in, um, approved. We completed the environmental impact report. It was certified in January and the concept plan was also approved then. We are moving forward with um, permitting the project. We uh, The project relies on removal of the bridge over Kearney Street, which um, sort of where the clubhouse is on the screen towards the right of the screen. I would, it, will re, um, it relies on that removal. So we are working with the board who just recently revoked the encroachment permit for um, that bridge and we are working out the details of the bridge removal. Next slide, please. Our um, last, the last project I'm going to highlight is the new recreation center at Hearst Playground. This is in the Southeast next to McLaren Park and by Sunnydale and Visitation Valley. Um, this new recreation center is going to fill a gap in the, our service area. It's very exciting to be able to deliver this um, this facility to this community. The, it's in partnership with Hope SF, which is redeveloping Sunnydale. Um, in the image here on the on your screen, our our rec center is to the right, and the community center that Hope SF is delivering is to the left, with a courtyard um, and connections in between, knitting these two together to create uh, more open space for the whole community. This. Um, we have secured additional funding here and are in the process of securing funding from we've it's already been approved. We're waiting for the funds to come um, from Sunnydale Hope SF and from federal funding as well from um, Representative Pelosi. Next slide, please. 
Um, lastly, I'm just going to highlight our citywide parks and programs. We have been starting um, a few of these. Twin Peaks is moving forward um, quickly. The parks um, were moving forward with Golden Gate Park. We've allocated some of these funds to help us deliver the um, Golden Gate Park Golf Clubhouse, which was um, burnt, burned down due to arson a couple of years ago um, and had other funding. This was this is supporting that delivery. And we've started the process of um, talking with the community about the next steps at McLaren and Lake Merced. We're delivering the 2020 bond or 2012 bond project before starting um, 2020. We expect to start the Community Opportunity Fund process um, next year. Okay, and the next, our last slide, my last slide, um, is just sharing some of our challenges and updates as Charles mentioned and discussed with all of you. We're, the this is challenging. The projects are coming in higher than expected. Um, we're in an unfavorable bidding environment with a challenging economic environment. Um, we are looking at project modifications to ensure that our projects can be delivered. And we're also seeking additional funds. We've been, um, I think, pretty lucky. We have some um, state funding, local funding, federal funding um, coming in to support our projects. But we um, do have some delays in leverage funds, as I mentioned, with our development impact fees. Um, also, regulatory environment and unforeseen site conditions always are causing challenges. Um, we are continuing to build our stewardship for our citywide programs and parks to ensure that we have we deliver what people want us to deliver in the um, the more uh, open projects that we have. And then we're also really focusing on delivering uh, the named projects and getting those out, which um, may delay some of our phase two projects. Okay, thank you so much. I'm going to hand it over to Edmund and I will be around for questions if you have any at the end. Hey, good morning, uh, commissioners. My name is Edmund Lee. I'm a public works project manager, and I'll be presenting today on uh, the right-of-way portion of this 2020 health and recovery bond. Next slide, please. A little background on our uh, right-of-way. Um, so the 2020 health and recovery general obligation bond um, dedicates $41.5 million to address the capital needs in the city's right-of-way in public spaces. Um, so city and county of San Francisco we're responsible for maintenance of about 940 miles of streets, approximately 390 street structures, uh, which of many are public staircases, bridges, and plazas. And to ensure that the city's streets and public spaces are accessible, curb ramps are installed to assist people with disabilities who have trouble stepping off and on the sidewalk for navigation of the public right-of-way. And the breakdown of this health and recovery right-of-way repair is street resurfacing, um, had 31 and a half million. Herb ramps has 5 million and street structures and plazas has 5 million, totaling the 41 and a half. Next slide, please. And back in August, um, Public Works, we received the full issuance of the 41 and a half million dollars in the, uh, the first sale of the bond. And this first table here shows our, our estimated program schedule. Um, all three categories have started, you know, back in 2021. Um, we're anticipating to complete the street resurfacing work uh, the first quarter of 2024, uh, the curb ramps the, by the end of the third quarter of 2023, 
And for streets and structures, we anticipate completing the work by the end of the third quarter of 2024. In the financial table or the chart below that um, is a summary of um, the total 41 and a half. So uh, currently we've expended about 14, um, a little over 14 and a half million dollars. Uh, we've encumbered just shy of 10 million and we have a remaining balance of uh, uh, 16.7. Next slide. For street resurfacing, the financial table on top is the um, breakdown of the street resurfacing portion um, where we've currently expended um, 11, is that a, a little over $11 million. Um, we've encumbered just under eight and we have that remaining balance of uh, uh, between 12, $13 million. Um, and that, the goal for this particular um, category street resurfacing, um, the 31 and a half million will fund repairing and resurfacing with approximately 300 blocks. Currently, we've uh, accomplished 130 blocks um, or 43% of the bond resurfacing goal. Um, we have a couple of photos uh, here highlighting some of the blocks that we've resurfaced uh, and just the bar chart on the right uh, indicating our current progress and just the remaining for, for our goal. So we have 170 blocks remaining to achieve our, our 300 block goal. Next slide. For curb ramps, um, we've currently spent uh, just under 3 million. We have an encumbrance of uh, about 750,000 and remaining balance of uh, almost 1.5. And under the curb ramp goal, the 5 million will fund the design and construction of about 121 curb ramps. And um, our current accomplishment for and progress of this goal is 115 curb ramps have been constructed or about 95% of the bond. And again, just some progress photos of some of the curb ramps that we've completed. And again, the, um, the, the chart on the right indicates uh, uh, how many we've completed and how many remain. Next slide. And finally, the third category, the street structures and plazas, um, we've currently expended uh, about, sorry, is that? 550,000. Thank you, thank you. Sorry, it's a little small on my screen. Um, and we have been covered a little under 1.5 and have a remaining balance of uh, just under $3 million. And the goal for this particular category, the 5 million will fund maintenance and repair of 11 street structures and one plaza. Um, and our current progress for, for this goal is five. Uh, and I apologize, there's a, there's a typo here. It's, it says five. Um, it really should be four street structures have been completed um, or about 36% of the, the street structure goal. Um, the plaza, we have one plaza that's that's um, uh, planned to be, um, uh, we have scope of work on and that's currently in design. Uh, and so we have the two uh, charts splitting that goal between plazas and street structures on the right. Next slide. Uh, that concludes my presentation. Uh, I, I know I had these questions up here, but uh, I, I guess maybe uh, if it's okay with the uh, commissioners, maybe we can wait till I guess all the presenters are completed. Unless somebody has a really burning question right now, I can, can be happy to address that. All right, thank you. If not, I'll hand it over to Samuel. All right, thank you, Edmund. Uh, good morning, uh, members. Sorry, I'm My gonna... name is Samuel Thomas. I am the budget director 
for the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. Um, this is my first time presenting to you in this role. I think previously I presented for MTA. So good to see you all again. Um, my presentation will be brief. Um, we don't have a major update given that our project is completed and has been completed since 21. So I'll give you an overview of what that looks like uh, for the navigation center that we funded through this issuance. And then we'll briefly touch on the upcoming issuance and our plans for that. Uh, next slide, please. All right, so the, the scope of um, our portion is to build permanent supportive housing and emergency shelter. So our total authorization is 147 million. Of that, uh, we've issued approximately 30 million. And we anticipate that sometime in 2023, we will leverage the rest of this bond. And that's something that we need to work out with the Office of Public Finance and are in conversation with them on. Uh, next slide, please. Um, so a quick overview of uh, uh, what the bond is funded for. So uh, it has funded the acquisition of a transition age youth navigation center um, at Polk and Hyde. And so uh, transition age youth, for those of you who are not familiar, are youth from the ages of 18 to 24 years old. Um, so people who are just getting started in their lives as individuals and who need assistance um, because of homelessness. Um, so this is a low barrier shelter. And uh, what that means is that as long as you've come in through our coordinated entry system and been referred, um, you can enter into the shelter. Um, so that's the uh, quick high level overview of what that is. Um, we closed the acquisition in August of 21. Um, so the center has been in operation um, since shortly after that time. And um, the second portion of the bond is being planned to be used on permanent supportive housing with the acquisition of at least 250 units. Uh, so the, the plan is to issue those bonds uh, hopefully sometime in 2023. And I can go into um, a bit um, the reason that we have not necessarily leveraged these bonds yet uh, on the next slide. Um, so I, I think that uh, most of you are aware that uh, Proposition C passed in um, 2019, we did not receive the funds until um, just last year because it was tied up in court. Uh, but Prop C uh, is a gross receipts tax on companies with over 50 million in revenues, I believe. And that opened up uh, a big pot of funding for us. And we've been able to leverage um, a share of that to access California uh, state home key grants. And so what it's allowed us to do is really leverage that state money to acquire uh, properties without using um, all city funds. And so uh, that's really been advantageous to us. Um, we've acquired almost $300 million in permanent supportive housing properties to date using a combination of Prop C and home key funds. I think the home key funds are approximately 130 million that we've been able to leverage. And so, um, you know, the, the saying, spend other people's monies first, and uh, that's what we've been doing here at HSH. Um, so what we have left to issue on the bond is uh, 116.8 million, and uh, we plan to make more acquisitions with that so that we can really expand our permanent supportive housing portfolio. Uh, next slide, please. Um, so again, uh, Lower Polk, we've been in operation 
acquired in 2021. And here you just have some stats on what portion to date of non-bond funding that we've been able to leverage uh, at the state level. And that's 160, or excuse me, 136 million uh, with 624 units acquired. Uh, next slide, please. So in terms of non-bond costs, so we have the 116.8 that we'll be able to use for acquisitions, um, but we do have ongoing costs and some upfront costs that would be associated with the acquisition. Uh, so for the one-time costs, those are things like uh, fixtures and furniture. So, you know, beds, uh, anything that we need to get the room set up, desks, chairs, things of that nature. And then for our ongoing costs, uh, HSH's budgets are typically uh, split between our operations and maintenance costs and our support services costs. So operations and maintenance, our standard now is $1,100 per month uh, for those operations and maintenance. And then on the service side, $550 uh, per unit per month. Um, so those, those services are things like case management, uh, keeping people in the units. So if they need support around uh, drug counseling or rehabilitation, finding jobs, those are the types of things that our services pay for. Um, so that is uh, the update from HSH. Uh, appreciate your time and happy to answer any questions. Thank you. So I think we're going to pass it to DPH now, Kathy Jung will be presenting. I do have a question. I'm sorry about that um, last slide. Are we okay. taking questions now or do you guys want to wait until the end? Um, could we wait till the end? I think we have one more That's presenter. Fine. Yep. Okay. Are you ready for DPH then? Okay. So good morning, Chair Matthews and Commissioners. I'm Kathy Jung. Director of Facilities and Capital Planning for the Department of Public Health. Joining me today is Jason Zook, our Executive Project Manager for ZSFGH. Next slide, please. DPH will be receiving $60 million from the 2020 Health and Recovery Bond. The funding will be used for facility acquisitions, renovations, and expansion across the continuum of care from renovating and expanding psychiatric emergency services at ZSFGH to better serve clients in crisis and to acquiring buildings to provide placements for much needed treatment and long-term care support. Next slide, please. In the areas of acquisition and rehabilitation, we have been very actively working with the Department of Real Estate to try to identify and assess properties that can meet our programmatic needs. We are also working on pre-development planning for projects to build out up to 140 residential step-down beds or other additional beds that would go towards meeting DPH's Mental Health San Francisco 400-bed expansion goal. In addition, the department is engaged in projects to rehabilitate existing sites to expand behavioral health service capacity. Next slide, please. We have begun pre-development planning for the construction of residential step-down beds on Treasure Island, which is a priority need for the behavioral health system of care. The project is a collaboration with Mo CD and the Treasure Island Development Authority, TIDA, with Mercy Housing having been selected as the developer. 
the project will replace 44 existing units on Lee Island that are currently operated by HR 360. These existing units will be demolished as part of the redevelopment of the island. The city has an agreement with One Treasure Island that obligates us to replace these beds. DPH is looking to increase total capacity by at least 30% beyond the existing 44 units. The site selected for the project will be shared with a MOCD supportive housing project. We are in the programming and conceptual design phase right now. Total project costs will be covered by multiple funding sources, including a state grant, Prop C, our city, which is our city, our home uh, funding, Treasure Island project generated sources, and the 2020 Health and Recovery Bond. Next slide, please. So I will hand this over now to Jason Zook. Good morning, commissioners. This is Jason Zook, executive project manager at CSFG. Um, the 11.4 million awarded from the 2020 bond is for the expansion of the psychiatric emergency services here on campus. The design and demolition portion of this project was funded under the 2016 bonds. And this project is currently under HKI review, HKI formerly known as Ashpod. Um, we anticipate plan approval towards the beginning of next year and construction to start early next year as well with a duration of one year. So a completion date of early 2024. That's all I have at the moment. No funds from the 2020 um, bond have been expended yet. I think there's one more slide, Jason. Yes, this is a rendering provided to us by our talented partners at DPW Bureau of Architecture. Um, this is what the new uh, PES will look like. The new PES is located in the old emergency room in Building 5 on the ZSFG campus. We're currently in demolition phase. And that's all we have for DPH. That's all I got. Thank you. Happy to take questions. Great. Thanks, everyone. So that wraps up our presentation on the 2020 Health and Recovery Fund. Great. Thanks. Um, Andrea, would you like to kick it off with questions? Oh, yeah, I had a question can... about the um, supportive housing services budget. Um, I think, I can't remember the name of the man who spoke, I mean, who presented, I apologize. Um, the budget said it was $550 per person per month. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the typo. Typically how we budget it is per unit per month. Per um, unit per month. Unit okay. is the standard, yeah. And it's one person per unit? Um, it, it can be, it depends on what the building is and what the unit types are. So that's a per unit per month is a standardization. Um, but typically, um, 
if it's a SRO, right, it's a single room and we have one person there, but um, some of our purchases that we've been making are larger. So they have two or in some cases uh, more rooms than that. And so those are sometimes families. So you'll have one caseworker assigned to a family, right, which has multiple people, which is why we use unit for the standard. So um, does that answer your question? Well, actually, my question is that that seems very low, $550 per unit for supportive services um, for people, I'm assuming, who have recently experienced homelessness, probably in need of a number of services. Um, are there additional funds for, I mean, I'm just thinking $550 a month, you know, where, where that goes for my family of four is not very far. Um, are sure. there additional service uh, budgets that will help provide supportive services for people transitioning from out of um, homelessness? Sure. So, so what our what our five hundred and fifty dollars typically covers is the case managers who are assigned to uh, people who are in our units, and so the case managers are linking them to other services, right? So. It could be that they're receiving services from other providers, right? Like mental health, uh, drug treatment that are not necessarily covered by our budgets, but we are referring them to those resources. So 650 does not provide, you know, the whole suite of services that someone would receive, um, but it provides them with the case management services that connect them to those services and then also um, you know, keep them on track, right? So the case manager checks in with people to make sure they're going to any appointments they might have to make sure they're paying their rent, which for some clients can be tough, um, trying to connect them with banking services and things like that. Um, so we, we actually just raised our uh, amount per month standard, right? That 550, so that's a, a new number. And um, that what that does is that brings our case manager ratio down um, for adults. So for adults, our standard is one to 25. So one case manager for every 25 clients. And then for families, um, it's uh, slightly lower than that. Uh, the goal is one to 20. Um, so that's a, a little bit of background. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, I think it's probably more accurate than to say that it's for case management services, not all supportive service or not services in general. Mm -hmm. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, any other members? I know this was a broad collection of, of uh, items here. Um, any other questions, comments from folks? Yeah, I had one. Right, please. Yeah, this is for, I think it's for Stacy Bradley. There was a comment that she had made in talking about um, not getting some of the grant funds that they had expected, at least not when they expected to get it, and having to shift funds around. Um, in monitoring one of the muni bonds, I know that they've had to do similar things where some projects were being delivered on a different schedule than they had anticipated. So they're having to take money from one category and shift it to another on a temporary basis. Ultimately, the categories were made whole, but initially there was some borrowing. In order to do that, 
they, Muni staff, had to go to the Board of Supervisors to get approval. Stacy, are you running into that same kind of thing? I'm not for for the allocation for Gene Friend. We're not because um, we're using program funding. So we're not we're using program funding that is um, appropriate for the uses at Gene Friend. Um, we're using playgrounds and sustainability and um, have identified uh, the amount of funding from each bucket that's commensurate with the funding that would be used at Gene Friend. We, and it's um, impact fee dollars, so we are anticipating receipt of the impact fee dollars that would then replenish um, these, these buckets and be able to go to new projects that uh, we'd be able to deliver projects within the playgrounds and the sustainability bucket. Okay, so you didn't have, you didn't face that same hurdle that MT Muni stat faced in having to shift between categories. You were in the same category, you just went and got some money that a little earlier than you'd expected. You'll ultimately re replenish that when you get the impact funds and you'll be okay. Well, aren't you the lucky ones? Then? <laughs> That's right, because the program buckets are um, flexible and the bond ordinance has that the, the Recreation and Park Commission helps identify which projects um, are funded by these programs. Okay. All right. You know, you, you guys did present a whole lot of sort of diverse information under this item, and I'm sure I'd have other more questions if I had more time to go over it. But in the meantime, thank you for answering that question. Thank you. I have a question. Um, this is for for um, Edmund Lee. A question on the street resurfacing. Um, is there going to be enough funds to complete um, all the the street resurfacing projects that are left, just based on the numbers that are that you're showing now on your slide? And apologies if my math is wrong, but just curious. Looks like we have completed 130 blocks for over 11 yes. million. Uh, yes. So. Uh uh, we do anticipate that, that we will have enough um, and actually you know we're we're currently taking a look at um, you know uh, potentially even exceeding the goal uh, you know for some of the projects that we uh, that that are our, we we bid out you know for um, uh, the formal contracts um, we weren't really sure on what kind of a bid environment it was going to be you know uh, and uh, it turns out we actually saw some savings um, from from what the contractors are actually bidding, and so um, you know we'll, we'll be able to apply that to to additional blocks to resurface. So um, where we stand currently, we, you know we do anticipate that it, it will we'll have enough funding to you know accomplish the 300 blocks uh, and potentially you know exceeding that also. And how do you determine which blocks you are resurfacing? The uh, how do we identify which blocks that we're going to surface? Okay, yeah. So um, we we have a number of different factors that that you know we typically look at. Um, one is sort of uh, PCI, which is Pavement Condition Index. It's, it's a sort of a scoring system um, that we use on on a planning level. Uh, we also look at um, uh, project readiness. You know, a lot of a lot of our blocks you know require a lot of coordination with um, with other utility companies and other agencies. Um, you know, we, we try our best to sort of follow that that big once model, you know, if, um, and coordinate all the work, you know, we're, we're sort of the the last piece on the surface, you know, but 
underneath the surface, there's, there's you know, a ton of utilities uh, and things like that. So we don't want to resurface a block and then have another, you know, utility come in and cut it, you know, cut into it um, soon after. Um, we also do mon uh, take a look at um, the uh, sort of the, the usages of the streets, you know, like with its multimodal, things like that. Um, we monitor sort of the geographic equity just throughout the city. Um, and uh, those are, yeah, sort of the, the, the major factors that we consider. So, and if you have extra funds, you won't resurface more than the 300 that's in the plan or you might? Although we intend to, to continue the resurfacing, yes. So, so if we have additional funds, then, um, you know, we'll be funding additional blocks for resurfacing, yes. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Great. Um, anything else from other members? If not, um, if we can open for public comment on this side. Listen. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415. 655001. That's 415 655 0001 access code 2487 551 4950. Then press pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. I'm uh, checking the caller queue and I don't see any hands raised. Maybe close public comment for this item. Yes, thanks for Zoom. Sure. Um, and then if we can go to item number eight, please. Liaison report 2015 affordable housing bond 2016 loans to finance acquisition and rehabilitation of affordable housing 2019 affordable housing bond. Great, and this is me. Um, so fellow committee members um, make a quick liaison report. Um, and that is that um, the staff on this bond program, these three are still working on closing their books for the fiscal year. And so we're gonna ensure that we go um, deep into the next deep into the details uh, during the next program report on these bonds. Um, however, in the meantime, I can give a short update, including some highlights. And so I wanna thank the staff, Benjamin, Lydia, and Andrea for providing the following update to me. And I'll close with a few of my comments. Um, so uh, in so far as the affordable housing go bonds highlights as of June 30th, 2022, the 2015 bond um, 88% of the authorized funds have been expended and encumbered. Um, the major spending within the last six months since their December report, um, 6 million has been spent for the middle income housing. That's the uh, down payment assistance loan program, the teacher portion, 4 million uh, on middle and low income housing in Balboa Park upper, um, upper Yard, excuse me, 9 million in the Sunnydale and Potrero public housing um, districts that was referenced in our 
this report. Um, and then uh, 26 million will be encumbered uh, at some point during this month at the 43rd and Irving um, location. And so for the 2016 bond, um, uh, there were two additional loan closings across the issuances to preserve um, 88 residential units and three commercial units. Um, staff has added uh, two prospective properties, which encompass 20 units um, to uh, the anticipated pipeline of new loans. And uh, close out here with the 2019 bond. Uh, approximately 59% of the first issuance has been expended and encumbered. Um, since the December update, an additional 35 million has been spent, uh, most significantly on uh, the low income project at Balboa Park Upper Yard, 12 million. Uh, another low income project, uh, 14 million at 4840 Mission, um, and another 5 million across um, some public housing across the city. Um, and then finally here, uh, $11.5 million has been encumbered to support um, a project on Treasure Island. So that's the, the brief update that staff provided me, and I appreciate that again. And I wanted to end uh, by saying how vital these, these bond programs are um, to the working families of San Francisco. And really the only way to address the housing and affordability crisis is to build affordable housing units, including two and three bedroom units, which these programs do, um, specifically for folks that earn under the area median incomes. Uh, in our city market rate housing production has not been lacking. It's been the construction of these affordable units. Um, and we simply cannot redefine the term affordable and pretend that if we do that, we're addressing our problem at hand. We need to build these real units for real people. So thank you. That's my update. And we'll have a deeper program uh, update in the coming months. So any questions for me, I suppose. <clears throat> Okay, uh, Rosanna, if we can take public comment on this item, please. Thanks. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 2487-551-4950, then press pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. I'm checking the caller queue and I don't see any hands raised. So okay, could close public comment and then move to item nine, please. Thank you. Um, presentation from the city services auditor regarding the whistleblower program, liaison report on the whistleblower program and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation and report. 
Good morning, committee members. My name is David Jensen with the Office of the Controller, and I'm currently the manager of the Whistleblower Program. I'm pleased to be here with you this morning to report out on the recent activities and initiatives of the Whistleblower Program. Uh, with me working the slide deck this morning is Stephen Munoz. Uh, Stephen, next slide, please. As many of you are already familiar with, uh, the statutory authority for the Whistleblower Program is derived from both state and city laws. Uh, next slide, please. San Francisco Charter uh, spells out uh, the um, matters appropriate for investigation uh, by the whistleblower program. Uh, those reports uh, often concern misuse of city funds, improper activities by city officers and employees, deficiencies in the quality and delivery of government services, and finally, wasteful and inefficient government practices. Next slide, please. Uh, the authorizing legislation will also spell out which matters are not within whistleblower programs jurisdiction to investigate. Uh, the charter mandates that whistleblower refer reports that are uh, required uh, by federal, state, or local law for another city department to adjudicate. Uh, matters that may be resolved through a grievance mechanism established by a bargaining unit or contract. Matters that involve violations of criminal law. Uh, matters that are subject to an investing, existing investigation and also matters that allege violations of governmental ethics laws. Next slide, please. Just a quick roster of who we've got working uh, these whistleblower matters that, uh, that uh, come across to us. Uh, we have a, a wide array of professionals uh, with experience, including attorneys, auditors, certified fraud examinators. We have a paralegal. We've got an experienced labor investigator and a trained policy analyst. I am sad to announce that Tiffany Wong, one of our audit managers, will be leaving the program at the end of this week uh, for another promotive opportunity. Uh, Tiffany's contributions to CSA have included working on the DPA uh, use of force audit. Uh, she's been responsible for many of the public integrity deliverables uh, that we've issued over the last two years or so, um, and then also a very solid contributor to, uh, to the whistleblower program. Uh, we will miss her dearly. Uh, next slide, please, Stephen. Uh, since fiscal year 2013-2014, Whistleblower has received an ever-increasing number of reports. Uh, this slide incorporates preliminary numbers for Q4 of last fiscal year, 21-22, uh, with 160 reports being received by the Whistleblower program last quarter. The rest of the program, uh, presentation today uh, will focus on the numbers uh, that we reported out during our fiscal year 21-22 quarter three report uh, issued last month. Uh, next slide, please. Um, this slide uh, deals with how whistleblower received reports uh, during Q3 of last year. Um, the vast majority of these uh, continue to come in online. Uh, we receive some by email, some by uh, regular snail mail, and then we also take in some by phone. Uh, whistleblower is a 24-hour hotline. Anyone can file anytime via a number of different avenues. Uh, we try and make it as easy as possible for people who want to file to file. I will also note that as staff increasingly returns to City Hall, uh, whistleblower program is now positioned to take in reports in person, uh, what we call walk-in reports, and we had our first one a couple weeks ago, uh, first one since probably January of 2020 or so. Uh, the slide also uh, demonstrates that most reports continue to be filed anonymously. Again, it's the reporter's choice. Next slide. 
Uh, slide eight uh, understands uh, how our process flows uh, from how a uh, report is made to us and how we uh, adjudicate it and and, uh, and close it out. I understand that this may be a little bit difficult to read. Uh, we'll work on that for next time. Um, but the same graphic is available as exhibit one on page five of our quarter three report. Uh, next slide, please. One of our uh, program objectives is to close out 75% of reports within 90 days of receipts. Uh, for quarter three, we hit 91% of reports uh, being investigated and closed out within 90 days of receipts. Uh, previously, I've uh, spoken with you about the high uh, closeout rates. Uh, and the 91% is still a high closeout rate considering we're trying to hit 75%. Um, and that was due to the high number of reports uh, that we were not able to investigate uh, due to a lack of cogent or actionable information. Uh, those uh, numbers of reports have slowed down over quarter four. And so consistent uh, with the lower volume of these types of reports received, it's my expectation that our closeout rates will nudge downwards uh, towards 75% uh, in Q4. And if the pattern continues, uh, also for Q1 of this year. Slide 10, please. Uh, slide 10 uh, relates to uh, the fact that uh, 80 of the 137 reports we received in quarter three were investigated. Uh, there's any number of reasons that we don't investigate a report, and those are on the, uh, the graph towards the uh, right side. Uh, they can be uh, because those reports have been merged uh, with complaints currently under investigation. If they have that same allegations, uh, we'll merge the two together. Uh, they can be because we need to refer them uh, per the city charter to other city departments. Uh, they can be closed because we just don't have enough information to investigate. Um, they can be also closed because they're outside of our program jurisdiction or that the uh, allegations have been previously addressed and adjudicated uh, in a prior complaint. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, slide 11 involves the percentage of investigative reports that result in corrective or any sort of preventative action. Um, and I would note again for you the consistency uh, that uh, we've maintained over the last uh, 10 years or so. Um, and I think that's remarkable because uh, our whistleblower program staff has changed. Uh, there's been changes in the uh, uh, city's working conditions. Uh, certainly COVID would be a factor of that. And then also uh, just uh, with the volume of reports we're receiving, uh, we still uh, produce results uh, that end in corrective or preventative action in somewhere between 41 to 31% of all cases we get. Next slide. Um, recapping some of our uh, initiatives from this past fiscal year. Uh, we sought to close out 75% of reports within 90 days. Uh, this quarter we hit 91%. Uh, we have issued three quarterly reports uh, for fiscal year 21-22 and we're working on the Q4 report which will sum up the previous three quarters as well. We expect that will be issued sometime next month. Uh, next slide please. Uh, for 21-22, we continue our efforts to ensure a best-in-class program. Uh, we have continued to follow up on reports referred as required by the charter to other uh, city jurisdictions uh, to better capture some of the results that the whistleblower program uh, reports uh, obtain. 
Uh, we have uh, had uh, one of our staff members, Mr. Munoz, who's on slide, uh, present at a national conference on fraud hotline operations in May. Uh, we have uh, conducted our annual training of department liaisons on how we expect investigations to be conducted and how, how they can help us do this work. Uh, we have also promoted and hosted two national webinars about leading fraud hotline operational practices and effective investigation techniques. Most recent one was in May uh, regarding COVID fraud. Uh, a lot of money went out from the federal government and state government and local governments to uh, 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 combat and uh, uh, address the COVID situation. And uh, we had a very effective uh, speaker come and present about some fraud topics that are arising as we take a look at that. If any of you are interested in attending these webinars, please get in touch with me and I can add you to that list. Uh, for next year, uh, we will continue to uh, provide whistleblower training on an annual basis for all city employees. Um, we are revising our materials uh, to uh, update and refresh all our collateral materials, our intake uh, forms, our website uh, recently went under a new uh, update as well. And uh, we'll be getting a new, uh, a new program this year uh, to reach out to peer jurisdictions throughout the state of California uh, to establish uh, best practices and a, an audit of our practices uh, that we hope we can roll out through the state uh, to sort of measure performance and see how we're dealing, see how we compare to some of these other jurisdictions. Uh, and that will begin uh, after Labor Day. Uh, final slide, um, please, if you ever have any questions, uh, get in touch with either Mark De La Rosa or myself. Um, you can have our email addresses there. You can also contact us through the whistleblower at sfgov.org email. And I would be happy to answer any questions that you might have at this time. Thank you. Don't all speak up at once. I think we're all on mute. No. Um, if there are no questions or comments from board members, we can um, take public comment, please. And David, thank you for your report as always. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415 655 0001. Access code 2487551-4950 and then press pound and press pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. So I'm checking the caller queue and I don't see any raised hands. Great. Thanks, Rosanna. We can close public comment and move to item 10, please. Sure. Opportunity for committee members to comment on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction or to take action on the matters listed below. A, audits unit public integrity reports. B, performance unit public perception survey project. C, CSA division updates and work plan. D, public finance upcoming bond issuances, and E, C, GOBOC, FY 22-23 work plan liaison and meeting dates. And I'll turn this over to Natasha Mihal. 
Good afternoon, Natasha Mihal, City Performance Director. And Roseanne, or actually Chair Matthews, should we run through each of these items or is it open for discussion on any of them? Um, I think we've been trained to kind of go through one by one um, at your direction, so. That sounds perfect. Okay, so I will turn it over to uh, the Audits Director, Mark De La Rosa. Okay. <clears throat> Happy to do so. Good morning, committee members, Chair Matthews and Vice Chair Crawford, members of the committee. Um, on 10.8, public integrity reviews. Uh, since your last meeting in June, uh, we have not issued any new public integrity assessments. Um, to date, we have, however, completed a total of 10 reports uh, containing 60 recommendations. Uh, we are actively working on three public integrity assessments at this, at this time. Uh, one is on the 24-month status on the uh, public integrity recommendations, which we hope to issue in September. Uh, we're also working on an audit of the city's landfill disposal agreement as part of our public integrity work. Um, and also we're working on the SFPUC Public Utilities Commission uh, contracting and procurement process assessment. Um, that is what we have going in terms of public integrity reports. Great, thanks for that, Mark. I will take the next item, which is the public perception survey. Uh, as a reminder, this is the surveys we are doing to find out what park users are valuing about park redesign. So we have completed qualitative data collection at both Willy Woo Wong Playground and the Stanyan Street Edge, where we've done approximately 900 intercept surveys at each location. For the Willy Woo Wong Playground, uh, our office has received that data, which has been used to develop a follow-up survey for a subset of respondents, and that outreach started last week. For the Stanyan Street sampling, um, it'll be going through the same process, but we expect that data in the next week or two. Uh, the plan is still to present all of the report findings at this December 12th hearing of this group. Um, I will turn it back to Mark for the next item on uh, CSA work plan update. Yes, on our CSA work plan update, um, I am uh, working uh, closely, or my division is working closely with Natasha's um, division to complete our FY22-23 work plan. Uh, in terms of our priorities for the CSA audits uh, work plan, we are going to continue our risk-based and mandated audits and assessments. Uh, a lot of it will be um, uh, reviewing internal controls uh, regarding procurements, contracting, uh, bond expenditures, uh, nonprofits, payroll, and various other um, areas that we have identified from our risk assessment, as well as from the body of work that we're, um, uh, uh, we've completed in the uh, public integrity realm. Uh, we're also going to be continuing our IT cybersecurity vulnerability assessments. Um, we're, we have, um, as part of our work plan, our uh, construction and geobond audits. Um, we also have um, uh, as part of our continuing work in the COVID cost recovery, um, and we're hoping that after this fiscal year, um, a lot of the active work in the FEMA reimbursement claims, which CSA audits is a major part of, um, uh, will be, um, uh, be hopefully be completed for the most part uh, after this fiscal year. But the uh, pre-auditing and submitting of our FEMA uh, reimbursement claims um, will be ongoing this fiscal year. Um, as well as, as uh, Dave Jensen just reported, our whistleblower program, 
um, and other um, efforts that we have ongoing, uh, uh, including uh, our recommendation follow-up, which we do um, for all of our audits every six months or six months thereafter, um, after our report issuance. And I'll pass it back on to you, Natasha. Thank you for that tag team. So as Mark mentioned, we are working on finalizing that issuance of the annual work plan report. Audits and performance do their own planning and we're on different cycles. Um, so this year, some of the priorities remain uh, making sure that our mandated performance reporting programs are up to full strength. So that includes uh, standards for both parks and streets. We will be issuing our first data set on the uh, streets, the new street standard, standards report in September, which is really exciting. That program was paused uh, right before COVID and we are getting that back up and running. We did issue last week just an announcement that we had updated our performance scorecards um, website. So if you want to go there, we can uh, share that link later to take a look at that. Some of the big priorities this year are to continue to support Mental Health SF. So this involves um, helping to facilitate the working group with stakeholders. We are completing a costing analysis for a mental health service center um, that is required as part of that legislative mandate. Uh, the controller's office is also beginning a staffing analysis, which will look at the staffing needs to actually implement Mental Health SF, both with city staff and CBO staff. We have two large bodies of work in the nonprofit realm. So one is our annual um, nonprofit monitoring and capacity building program that we're um, just finalizing the work plan for this fiscal year. We're also going to be working on some related efforts to uh, survey CBOs to understand um, the characteristics and survey of the staff who are providing services to the city. Um, part of this is an equity analysis to understand is there parity between different departments and different services that um, similar positions are paid the same and are there any race and ethnicity and gender breakdowns um, in that work. Uh, and then we also know with Peg Stevenson retiring and me coming on board and us having high vacancies that we also know we have some delayed work planning that will be happening this fall. Um, and those areas tend to be in the infrastructure and capital and transportation world, which I know you'll all be interested in. So we'll have more of an update on that later. Moving on to uh, 10D, that would be the Office of Public Finance. And I see Vishal on the meeting. So I'll hand it over to you. Yes, uh, good morning, everyone. This is Michelle Thrift from the Office of Public Finance. Uh, also here in attendance, I have my uh, new colleague, Bo Scott, who will also be uh, attending these meetings and may be reporting uh, from, uh, the schedule from time to time. But uh, included in your packet, we have uh, the sort of anticipated forward calendar of geo bond issuances for this uh, fiscal year that has just begun. And uh, I'll, at the moment, I'll sort of be clear, these are kind of placeholders. Uh, I think we've been in touch with uh, most of our bond program managers. We have a sense that they will have needs later on this fiscal year, but we don't necessarily uh, know for sure the timing and exact amount. So we have some placeholders here. Uh, in the meantime, it's possible to call to particular attention the affordable housing uh, program. Um, they are, I think, uh, figuring out their, their uh, the urgency of their needs because they're waiting on some uh, funding uh, that may potentially they may get word uh, over the next couple of weeks uh, that they received or not from the from the state. 
or federal uh, sources, and so uh, that that may drive the issuance of the bonds uh, to fill in various other other needs. So uh, that may come sooner. Uh, they may need funds as soon as, as soon as this winter. Uh, otherwise, probably next spring. Same with the uh, seawall, and then the balance of the health and recovery bonds, as you heard, uh, anticipated another issuance in the spring, um, and the parks park and rec component, as we also heard earlier in this uh, this meeting. So that's kind of what we have uh, on tap, and uh, we'll we'll get more detail uh, as uh, we get further on into this fiscal year. Thank you. Thanks for that. And on 10E, um, the work plan for the year. So there have been no changes to, since we went over that last time. So what will be coming up at the next meeting will be program reports for the transportation and road improvement bonds, as well as the paving and safe street safety bonds, um, and a liaison report from the seawall bond. Are there any questions for any items discussed here? I don't think so. Thank you, Natasha. And I think I'll just do a plug. I think if we look at our program work, there might be an opening or two in some of the liaison programs. So folks, if you want to um, volunteer, you don't have to do it now. <laughs> There's the word. But, yeah. Tim, can I ask a question? I, I stepped yes. away for a second. Um, what are the upcoming liaison reports, um, Natasha? So for the October 24th meeting, it is the seawall bond, and that would be um, member Pantoa. Okay, that's it. When when is the next uh, MTA bond liaison it, report? The, the liaison report for that will be in April. April. I got some time. Yes. <laughs> okay. We can we can follow up with the meeting um, after the meeting also with the schedule again to show everybody um, when these items are coming up. Right now, we only have one liaison vacancy, and that's for the earthquake safety ESER, which we heard today, and that liaison report would be in February. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, any other committee members before we do public comment on this item? All right, seeing none, uh, we could open for public comment on item 10. Um, members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 2487-551-4950, then pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. So I'm checking the color queue and there are no raised hands. Great, we could close out public comment. Can we go to adjournment? Yes, uh, I just really quickly want to thank my new vice chair, Andrea, for volunteering. I much appreciate it um, and look forward to working together on this and uh, welcome Natasha in your first uh, full fledged meeting. And so um, great onward. Welcome, Natasha. All right, now I'll entertain the motion. I'll make a motion to adjourn in fact. All right. I will I second, second that motion. Second. Very good. Thanks folks.
For the record, the meeting adjourned at 11.46 a.m. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.